Hello and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about reminiscence and to talk about this one I am joined by my friend Fred Cobb for the first time in a while. Fred, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm ready to start reminiscing about reminiscent with you. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, it's it's been almost uh, it's been almost two years since I've seen you, Fred. So maybe uh, we'll just like put put you in a contraption and make you remember the last time we actually hung out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Re- Reminiscence is the uh, is written and directed by Lisa Joy, who most people probably know as being the co-creator of Westworld, which she uh, which she uh, the show that she made with her husband Jonathan Nolan. Made makes is that is Westworld still in the air, Fred? Uh, it is. Well, okay. it's not on the air currently, but I assume there's going to be a fourth season at some point. Uh, okay, I only watched the first one. I knew they did like at least two more. Mm. I didn't know if they had plans for more. So yeah, uh, she made that with her husband Jonathan Nolan, who uh, you know is the brother of that one guy we've heard of, Christopher Nolan. So um, a lot of pedigree, uh, movie pedigree with their family. But this was her uh, directorial debut, uh, feature directorial debut. And uh, the movie tells the story of a guy named Nick Bannister, played by Hugh Jackman. He's a former military guy who, uh, you know, specialized a little bit in interrogations and things like that and kind of came to have a contraption that allows you to uh, kind of like I was joking about earlier, strap people in and then uh, kind of ask them, shoot them up with some neurons that like, you know, open up their pathways or whatever and he can kind of uh, ask them questions that guides them into any kind of memory they've ever had of any experience they've ever had and projects an image of it that is from the third person funnily enough uh, as opposed to like from from the view of what that person would be like which is uh, I guess makes sense just to like make things look a little easier the, the other thing about this is that it takes place in the near fictional future uh, set in uh, largely in Miami and uh, Fred I'm just really excited about what it's going to be in my parts here in about 15, 15 years you know <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, I figured you might be. Yeah, so it's it, but it, more more Miami. So I mean, West Palm could be underwater too. But uh, it's in a version of Miami that in the near future that is beset by uh, massive climate change in a couple of different ways. Like half of the city, most of Miami Beach is underwater, and you just have to uh, go get to different clubs and restaurants by boat there. And parts of downtown Miami are as well. And it's so hot also because of the climate change that the city is largely nocturnal, and really no one really goes out uh, during the day. And that's just kind of one other wrinkle in this movie, but. But uh, again, uh, what what is most notable is that kind of towards the beginning of the movie um, or the gist of the story, though, is that kind of towards the beginning of the movie, a woman walks into Nick's business that he runs with a fellow veteran named Emily Sanders, who goes by Watts. She's played by Thandie Newton, who a lot of people, again, know from Westworld, but also like lots of other movies. Uh, They operate this business and where people can go and relive their memories. And uh, we see a few of the regular clients, but then a woman walks in who's, you know, uh, just like dressed to the nines. And she's she's named May. She's played by Rebecca Ferguson. She needs help finding her keys and wants them to tap in her memory to help find the key because you know you always strap into heavy machinery when you forgot your keys as opposed to calling a locksmith uh they, <laughs> they, they're able to help her do that and uh but then she leaves some earrings behind so uh nick tracks her down at the club that she works at that he saw when they were in her head and uh you know they hit it off they start a relationship that burns hot and fast and then all of a sudden he wakes up one morning and she's gone he kind of he, he obviously is uh, we kind of pick up with him down the road where he's living in the memories of her. But then uh, when he's brought in to help on another case because he kind of consults with the local prosecutors, district attorney's office and whatnot, he's in the he's in the head of another victim uh, uh, in the head of another potential witness in a case and sees that at one point uh, 
that when that person was in New Orleans, they saw May somewhere else at a club, and he begins to kind of dig into her past. And there's a lot of other storylines going on with some other characters. I'm sure we'll get into, and it's just a lot going on because it's just like a it's it's kind of like a, a noirish type of story where stuff you know intertwines like that, even if we're not following a, de- a guy that's more adjacent to detectives than an actual detective himself. Again, just uh, a lot of different storylines. Uh, very, I would say, interesting setting. If nothing else, this movie has gotten a, a fairly negative reaction. And uh, I know, Fred, you were pretty excited when you saw the trailer, or at least intrigued. I don't want to say excited, like you all of a sudden were convinced you were going to like it. But I know you saw some potential there. And man, this movie has gotten really raked over the coals. Uh, not really that well received critically. And uh, and I, we were texting about it earlier and not so hot at the box office, but we should note it is an HBO Max release. So uh, if you want to go talk about want to go watch it before we talk about it any further, it's easily accessible to people. So that could have affected its box office. But like it's done even worse than most of the other stuff that went straight to HBO Max and or anything that started in 3000 theaters. So hmm. uh, really just a not great critically, not great commercially. Uh, that being said, Fred, I'll say. There's some interesting stuff in this movie. I don't think it's like totally without merit. What was your reaction to this? And were you surprised when you saw just like how um, just like, you know, how dour a lot of the rest of the reaction was? Yeah, that was incredibly unfortunate because the reason why I was initially so intrigued is I would say the two of us were probably more in tune with new releases than the average moviegoer because you do a podcast. Obviously, I write a ton of reviews on Letterboxd. So we tried to make an effort to keep ourselves appraised of whatever is happening at the uh, at the box office, what movies are coming out over the next yeah. few months. Weird marketing for this one, for sure. Yeah, that, that was the thing about Reminiscence. This was the very rare uh, instance where I hadn't really heard about the movie at all until I saw the trailer. So that was really the first big opportunity for the movie to sell itself to me. And I thought it was a pretty intriguing preview because it didn't really give away a ton about the plot, but it really leaned into that super intriguing setting in the near future in Miami that's, as you said already, flooded. Climate change has pretty much wrecked the entire city. People are no longer going out during the day. Um, And especially as somebody who lived in Florida, and you still do, obviously, um, it's kind of interesting to see such a setting that is uh, near and dear to our heart and that could in the not-too-distant future be seriously affected by everything that's going on on our planet. Um, So that's really kind of what I was... um, excited about there are two things in here that i think intriguing science fiction films should have one of them being a near future setting that is kind of plausible where you think okay this is something i can relate to because we might even encounter this in our lifetimes or at least the next few generations will and the other thing is the technology that they have available that being the ability to look at memories uh, via this fancy screen that they have set up And I think it makes sense that if the future is really that shitty that you would want to keep looking back at the past. So I understand why the people would want to pay money for this kind of service. Mm -hmm. So at least from the get-go, you have those two aspects, which are definitely intriguing enough to make me wonder, okay, what are we going to get here? And then you have the creators of Westworld, which is a very good TV show. I thought the first season at the very least was one of the most impressive achievements of the past decade in terms of interlayering different temporal and philosophical aspects so we had a lot of good ingredients here and that's yeah, why i was if, if I had told coming you, into this and i know you're about to say something else but if I, let me just put it another way if i told you uh hey fred there's gonna be a movie coming out coming out that is basically minority report meets chinatown meets blade runner but it's set in like a really unique rendering of south florida 
you would have been like, holy shit, that sounds incredible. Yeah, I like all of those movies. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Blade Runner and Chinatown, uh, I'm pretty sure I gave both of them five stars on Letterboxd. Like, those are movies that are virtually flawless in my mind. And Minority Report, when you revisit it almost two decades later, some of it hasn't aged perfectly, but it's still a really good uh really good thriller with a lot of um, exciting ideas about what the near future could look like. So yeah, uh, those are all movies that I like, and I was kind of hoping Reminiscence would uh, take its place uh, among those, which was always a high bar to clear, obviously, but you never know until you actually see it. Yeah, and uh, what do you think the biggest reason was it didn't do that? (laughs) Uh, Something kind of surprising. Um, First of all, I think it's a lack of ambition because you already mentioned that there's a lot going on but honestly when you think about it when you have a a setting that is this intriguing having a traditional sort of romantic angle where a uh, world-weary noir detective figure is tracking down a woman that he lost track of i I don't know if that's necessarily the best uh, plot for this movie to pursue Especially because that is a relationship that was only based on, what, a few weeks of uh, knowing each other and the entire relationship is never entirely cleared up. In like seven seven minutes of actual screen time in the movie. Yeah, and it can't have been more than a few weeks of uh, time in the actual film because by the end of it, you don't really know how much does Nick, Hugh Jackman's character really even know about this woman? Why is he so intent on tracking her down? Why has she become such a major obsession for him? I, I never really bought into that. And it's not because Hugh Jackman and Rebecca Ferguson can't have chemistry with each other. They can because they did in The Greatest Showman. That's yeah, one of my... And, and, and about the same amount of screen time, but like it was pretty electric, actually, if I remember yeah, correctly. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a movie that I always thought was a lot more exciting and fun than it got credit for. I mean, there are there are some elements of it that were rightly uh, scrutinized, especially in terms of painting P.T. Barnum as this kind of savior figure almost, even though the real-life version was uh, kind of a profiteer who exploited vulnerable people all his life. Uh, right. but, that, but that aside, I thought the movie did a really good job selling me on that relationship. And that, I think, is one of the fundamental failures of this one, where uh, a movie that leans this ha- heavily into a love story uh, it just never did the work uh, that was required to really uh, get me to a point where I wanted to follow that from the beginning to the end. And that's an unfortunate misstep for a movie that always looks intriguing, uh, but never felt especially intriguing to me in the long run. Yeah, and maybe I'm a little biased, just like we've already mentioned a couple of times. I live in South Florida. I don't live in Miami, but I'm there enough that it's, it was pretty – and I could tell they shot there, and that I appreciated that. And Man, but I, I feel like I'm not being like I'm, it's not just my bias. I, I feel like a lot of the reviews I've read have like qualified them themselves by saying like, look, like it's not it's clear that Lisa Joy like isn't capable, like isn't a capable technical director of ha- handling something on this scale because this movie looks really great and interesting. Uh, you should note that like uh, one of the, and well, what I'll say is that like. I just found myself more drawn to that side of it than anything else. I wanted to like know more about this world and thought they could have like told a story that was like more tied to like the actual realities of like this version of the world that they're living in. And instead, they, like you said, it gets tied into it gets it gets really preoccupied with the story about this woman and how they use this technology really just with respect to tracking her as opposed to the actual consequences it might have within this world. Where again, as you mentioned earlier, Fred, there's good reason for people to want to use this machine. 
But I found myself wanting to know, like, man, what are the other things going on around here? Like, I get it that this is Miami. And ironically enough, this movie takes place in, like, Miami or New Orleans, which are, like, probably the, the, the first two major American cities that would be underwater, in theory, if, like, you know, we don't do what we need to do with climate change or whatever. But it's like, okay, well, and one of the cool things they show about Miami is that, like, all the rich people – not cool, but, like uh, – probably fairly true to life as to what would happen yeah. all the rich people all the rich people uh literally uh take oh. andrew take andrew yang's advice and go to higher ground um <laughs> a lot of a lot of people gave andrew yang some crap for that when they were last year and he said that that was that was what people needed to do but like that's actually literally like uh yeah. there's like a, a big a plat- there's a big platform in this movie where uh people just uh you know end up uh all the rich people like buy land on this massive like platform thing in miami and that's and that's where they're living and it's like oh that's interesting but like what does that mean like the real estate for like the rest of america has happened because presumably like if parts of downtown miami are like still kind of like you know above water only like it's just really like my south beach is like in miami beach or like definitely underwater and then like parts of downtown are but, like parts of it you can still walk around on so i would presumably think like everywhere else that's like not that low of sea level in america is fine so i'm like wondering like why are people in this version of miami to begin with if like there's a lot of the rest of the country that i'm thinking is probably not underwater like what has happened what has happened there what are some of the other consequences beyond the rich people going to high ground what are some of the other problems that might arise that could constitute a conflict that could potentially carry a movie you know what i mean something that's more tied to the city like what happened in something like chinatown i don't know i was just like wanting to like find some other kind of conflict that i'm sure this like i'm sure this world could support that comes from this really cool setting they've created and instead it's like we got to go down this weird thing where we like track a woman through some memories through with a couple other shady characters giving kind of goofy performances and and like i i just i just so clearly saw another version of this movie that would have been so much more interesting yeah, and it's surprising to me because I think you kind of described the problem very well just now by touching on all of these different interesting things that the movie sets up, but mm-hmm. then never really follows up on. And I don't know if that's maybe a lack of confidence in terms of Lisa Joy being a first-time director and first-time screenwriter for the big screen. Um, but there are so many different elements here that I would have loved to see either go more in-depth or play around with a little bit more. A good example is the technology of the machine itself Mm -hmm. that is primarily used to look at May's memories and what exactly led her to actually enter Nick's life. And the strange thing is there are a lot of different things you can do with memories because the past is the past, but the memories don't always accurately reflect the past because years down the road, hindsight bias creeps in. You try to paint a better version of what might have happened because you wish you would have made different choices. And eventually you internalize that to a point where you tell yourself something different happened than what actually did. And I really would have liked to see more manipulation uh, of that. Maybe Nick is privy to some memories with his machines that didn't actually happen that way. And only further down the road, he realizes that he's been tricked. But to be perfectly honest, the way this contraption is used in this movie really adds up to little more than glorified flashbacks. That's what it is. And it's nice that they are able to tie it into the plot uh, in the way they do, because that is the entire premise of the movie, essentially. Uh, But at the same time, you know, there is a much better way to use that technology to tell a more interesting story. Uh, The obvious comparison that people have been making ever since the first reviews came out is Inception. And Inception was a lot more intriguing in that aspect because 
James can easily be manipulated. Mm. And that was a big aspect of what the characters are doing. They're trying to play around with the conscience, the consciousness that they enter and uh, implant different things. And I really wish they would have done a better job treating memories that way in this movie as well, as opposed to just seeing things as they actually happen and never actually uh, doing any sort of active manipulation with them. Yeah. So there's that. The, I'd actually like heard that critique a couple other times too where it's like it was kind of weird that they made the choice just to like make it 100 percent objective memory that's just like regurgitated and there's certainly uh, there's certainly some meat left on the bone there and the other thing i'd say beyond that is that and like it does touch on this some but like as far as the consequences of of the machine use uh so they they talk about it a couple of different times where they're like leading someone down there and it's like they he does what in effect calls a wrong turn where like you ask a question and there's not actually an answer that the person that's in the machine can really give you, and then that causes them to like go on the fritz. Mm-hmm. And then there's like another term for like burning someone, where you just like I guess I don't exactly know how you like you kind of overwhelm the people, and just kind of like fried their brain for lack of a better term. And but then there's also like the cho- there's like other choices where you could just like in theory get kind of trapped in there forever. And I I guess I we keep hearing the whole movie. We keep hearing Watts tell Nick, like, you can't keep doing that. You can't keep doing that. And you can't keep like living in the past like that. And like, I, it's like, it's more of like a, it's, they're doing kind of a telling and not showing thing for a lot of that. Like, yeah, they're showing us as the viewer, what it looks like when he keeps going back and like trying to relive his relationship with May and figure out where she might be. But I don't really understand like why it's that bad. I mean, it's, yeah, maybe it's not the easiest thing in the body to like go under on that machine. But like, I, I, I just feel like, there might have been a more direct, like I get it, they did tie it into the plot, like you said, but I feel like there might have been a more direct way to like just have that same technology because I think it's a cool conceit and it's an interesting thing to have, mm-hmm. uh, but to like actually like involve it in a more in a, in a more interesting main storyline like we were just talking about, uh, what some other kind of conflict other than tracking this woman down and like actually like exploring the consequences of like getting too into using it for your own personal use because again there's like a lot of reasons people might want to use it. I thought about and I considered going back and watching the black mirror episode the entire history of you because that's like the that's like the other parallel for like even a little closer as far as the kind of technology where you can go back and and watch anything it's a little more seamless there where you can kind of do it on your own you don't need someone to put you under and i i just didn't want to go there man like i i think it's a i think it's a it's a a great episode of television i'm like but it it gets super dark and super uncomfortable in a very effective way and i so i i but like i mean it's probably been I don't know, five or six years since I've watched it. So I was like, I, I kind of wanted to refresh myself, but at the same time, it's like, man, I'm not ready for that. It's like really intense. And I don't really feel like it actually ever got that intense here as far as like exploring the consequences of like going back and looking at stuff. Like there's a couple revelations that Nick has about May when he's doing that, but nothing where it's like uh, the, the actual act of going into the machine itself like can cause serious problems for like, I don't know, like, our our, her- our our heroes in this movie, for lack of a better term, like they might they, they like learn something about this other rich guy that then ties into that that, that yeah. ties into that other client, and then that kind of drives the plot forward. But it doesn't really have any like I don't know severe personal consequences. It really feels like for our people because um I, I I'll hold off for a minute on any other spoilers because I think we've done a good job of doing that so far, and I don't want to go there yet. And this is a movie where like. It's not like one that everyone's going to see like Suicide Squad. It's probably worth it to do a spoiler section for this. Yeah. But like suffice it to say, I just don't think that like it got in the consequences of the use of that machine in like an effective way like that Black Mirror episode does, you know? Yeah, it's strange because it almost seems like they're keeping the noir mystery 
mostly separate from the science fiction elements of this. And it's very unfortunate because, again, a more confident and more ambitious script probably would have made an attempt to model the present and the past and have Nick get increasingly confused about what sort of timeline he's currently operating in. Right. I mean, if we want to make the comparison to Inception again, you remember that uh, those little totems that they had to make sure that they could remember whether they were actually in real life or in the dream? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I, I figure you could do something similar here where you might even lose track whether you're uh, in the machine right now looking at memories or whether you're in the present uh, living your life. And I don't really think Nick ever gets to a point where he has that disconnect. I mean, he gets increasingly obsessed with man. He spends more and more time in the machine. But he always seems to be pretty lucid about whether he's currently awake or dreaming, quote unquote, and he's back in the past. So it's kind of strange because I think the movie just never ups the stakes enough to get to a point where I was really uh, questioning whether we were even in the present day reality. And I think you could have done much more with that. And it's unfortunate yeah. that they chose not to pursue that angle yeah and it sounds like we're in agreement overall on um just that just the over i guess the story of like may wasn't that compelling even if i think we both probably like uh, rebecca ferguson what did you but what did you think specifically about some of the places where it took her like did, did you i don't know i thought that guy that like the i thought the guy that played um i thought the guy that played the saint joe guy was like it was a weird performance i mean i guess i kind of appreciate on some level he was going for something but like i didn't i don't know if it totally worked for me did you get anything out of them going to new orleans or did you like have any feelings about the the dirty cop cliff curtis character his name was booth like i don't know were those characters compelling at all to you on their own did you get anything out of that or was that more just like all part of the um all part of the may storyline that just kind of fell flat for you so the new orleans scene especially was strange in terms of where it was placed in the movie because Mm. i was getting the sense that we had spent a lot of time just looking at memories and flashbacks and we hadn't gotten a genuine action scene at that point yet and i can almost see producers watching a rough cut of the movie saying yeah we haven't really done anything super exciting yet so why don't we actually have a fight scene here so you know we can kind of sell this as an action movie because Mm -hmm. that whole scene just kind of felt off to me in the sense that it didn't really add anything significant because yeah it's nice to see what new orleans looks like and that it got um, affected by uh climate change and the rising water levels uh, just as badly if not worse than miami did <laughs> um, and it's interesting that we got to see that city but in terms of plot development that entire scene was largely superfluous mm-hmm. um which is kind of unfortunate because, again, I think there would have been a much more interesting way to tie New Orleans into the whole story and spend some more time there to really understand, as you said earlier, how the different cities are being affected by. Uh, yeah, maybe maybe they could maybe they both could and maybe they both have, but they didn't tell us. But maybe those two cities, because of like the effects of the climate change, maybe they both become some kind of crime haven, yeah. you know, where like things are sense. just more lawless. And because of that. These characters that are all adjacent to law enforcement, like they have reasons they have to travel there or something like that. I, I, I'm not going to write the whole other idea of that movie for them because I, you know, I'm I, I just I I, I just I, I don't exactly know what that is, but I, I think there's something there, and that gives you a reason to have those two you very unique cities be your settings. But they didn't really like set it up enough, and they, they instead they told a story that didn't really require it to be either of those cities. So they didn't by by and by doing that, you're inherently not fully utilizing either setting 
Yeah, and you get some nice shots of uh, what happened with this city. Uh, I mean, kind of look eerily similar to what happened after Hurricane Katrina there. Uh, but then most of the stuff in New Orleans is set in a bar. There's a big fight scene, and then they leave and go back to Miami right after, pretty much. Mm. So it's kind of unfortunate that it wasn't utilized uh, in a more uh, detailed way, because I I, I think the, the movie must have... Or when I say the movie, I really mean the writers and Lisa Joy, the director. They must have known that their setting was really the most compelling part of the movie. And it never looks cheap. It always looks really impressive. Um, But sometimes it almost feels like they're backing away from that and they just go straight back to the love story. And that is just Mm -hmm. so incredibly unfortunate because every time you get just a little bit of a taste of this larger world that they're setting up, it goes right back to the source and they're back in Miami where we've already been spending so much time. Yeah, I want to jump to a, a little bit of a spoiler section, so um, before so people can kind of get out here and come back if they really want to watch this movie. Even though obviously, I don't know, Fred and I are exactly making a hard pitch for people to do that. Uh, it is on HBO Max, so if you have it available, I'd still recommend checking it out. Uh, and if only because uh, you know Lisa Joy, she's a first-time filmmaker. We always want to support women filmmakers, and because it's so easily accessible, I would still make a case to check it out. It could have been better, but, you know, and it's important to support original content as well. That was what I was going to say. It's not even just the woman filmmaker, which, which I agree with. But like, it's almost it's funny. Uh, we, we didn't end up doing it because of the scheduling issues. But Fred and I were also maybe going to talk about Free Guy originally. And th- these are both two movies that are in theaters right now. Free Guy was obviously better received that are like like not based on any pre-existing story or anything. They're, they're both unique. So, like, I mean, I, I don't know how ambitious we would ultimately say, like, Lisa Joy got with her story, but at least, like, she and Jonathan Nolan put whatever, you know, cachet they had and uh, capital they had behind um, behind something like this, and which I, I, I respect. And I'm glad they, they, they at least tried to do something. And for that, I, I think it's worth at least pressing play on HBO Max to see if it's something that agrees with you, even if, like, don't think I ultimately would have like ultimately came out super high on it. So it's worth it for those reasons. And if like seeing some really cool production design and some actors who are pretty good, you know, that should be enough for like you to at least like see if, Hey, maybe this thing might be for me. I don't know. This probably wasn't exactly for me though. So, uh, that that's Fred Nye's pitch, I guess. So, uh, go, yeah, it's a go. half-hearted recommendation yeah. at, at best, at best. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, go watch it and then come back if you uh, actually make it through and want to hear what we have to say about the spoiler section, or if you give up on watching but are still curious to listen, still come back and listen to us. So here's now's your chance to jump out though. Uh, Fred, the reason I wanted to like uh, send people away there uh, and do a spoiler section is because we kind of talked about that other like you know, this whole New Orleans corner of the movie. But we didn't yet talk about like how what what happens with this land baron in in the movie, this guy named Walter Sylvan, who turns out to be the man that their regular client is seeing at the beginning and uh, or going back into the machine to like watch her uh, tryst with him. And uh, you know that that is kind of like. Pr- uh, depicted in the beginning of the movie as kind of a little bit of a throwaway because yeah of course some people would like go go to visit those kind of parts of their life i mean sure if you have a machine like that and then it actually like ties into the plot and which like fine it's i guess it's like a nice coincidence that everything ties into the plot like that and yeah. it turns out that the, like this guy has uh uh, conceived a child with his mistress and that child could potentially be the be like the heir to his entire uh be one be another heir to his throne in addition to the son he already has and his his actual wife and his other son are like want to make sure that doesn't happen so they are actually the ones that have like masterminded this whole entire you know very convoluted 
uh, scheme uh, that I, first of all, it's not it, I, it's not ever totally clear to me. And I don't know if it was to you how they knew that Bannister would have that exact memory that they needed. Uh, I guess they might maybe they spied on the woman that was going there and just kind of like knew that that would be a, that was possibly a source of her memory. And they could have gotten more information about her and to find the kid there. Uh, but like there's that and they have to rely on uh, hiring this woman who's kind of a drug addict to then scheme her way into uh, uh, find, into a close relationship with Nick and that such that she could steal the memory and then they could actually track this kid down. Uh, is this a lot of moving parts in a weird plan? I, I, I say all that to ask you two questions, I guess. Uh, one, did you actually uh, call it from the moment? Because you kind of laughed earlier when I said, oh, she shows up because she forgot her keys. You laugh. So did you kind of know something was up from the get-go because of that? And two, are you kind of with me in that, like, I, I, I mean, it's a, it seems like a more of a typical noir story, but I kind of still, like, because that was in the area, the, the, the drylands area, I, I was like, I would have been kind of here for it to, like, have those kind of kooky characters be a part of this story and then just, like, had it, again, be more centrally focused on this, like, this Miami community. So what did you think about the potential for that storyline? And, like, did you actually kind of see what was coming with May? I mean, if you've ever watched any noir movie, uh, whether that is the Maltese Falcon or Chinatown, it's a cardinal rule that uh, the female lead is always going to end up betraying the protagonist. <laughs> always. Like, that is an unwritten rule and uh, something that if you've ever seen anything in that genre, you should have picked up on from the get-go. I, I mean, it's kind of strange because it seems obvious that May does have something going on in the background from the very beginning. And it's clear that she wasn't entirely transparent about her motivations with Nick. So it's even stranger that he heads down this road where he becomes so obsessed with her and tries to track her down. Uh, because, again, clearly there was something she wasn't telling him. And he doesn't even realize in this initially what her scheme was that she stole his memories. Like, he doesn't notice that for the longest time. So if he had noticed from the beginning that some of his memories were missing then maybe it would have made more sense for him to try to track her down because clearly something else is afoot. Um, but initially, we have to assume he just goes after her because, what, he still loves her and he's still attracted to her and wants to, what, persuade her to come back to him. So that's kind of a strange way uh, for that entire story to develop. Um, although I will say that sort of larger overarching plot with the Land Baron uh, also gave us uh, the first uh, Marina de Tavira performance since... Uh, yeah which, yeah and, uh, I, and i did not realize that was her until like we'd just been sitting here and i was like scrolling through the wikipedia i just hadn't looked at the full cast i guess and i was like oh wow that's like uh -huh. that's the lady from roma i hadn't seen her since roma yeah and that's a pretty big get and also one of the more intriguing aspects of the movie because she eventually reaches a point where she actually does get trapped in the past to an extent where she no longer recognizes that the experiences that she is having are based on a memory from decades ago that she's trying to relive over and over again to the point where she even has that exact memory reconstructed in her uh, in her mansion. She has a convenient moment of lucidity, though, when the plot needs her to. Right. Yeah. But, <laughs> but you know, but, but that aside, like that is something I wish would have happened more to Nick. I wish he would have gotten to a point where he would have uh, struggled to reconcile present day events with his past experiences. So she's actually a really interesting template for what could have happened in a more ambitious and more daring movie if it had really headed down this whole yeah exactly uh, I, I, no, I, memories lane and it just doesn't. Instead, it keeps focusing on that weird angle about the illegitimate child who could 
potentially inherit the land. And that's something you can have in any old cookie cutter noir, as opposed to a movie with these really interesting science fiction elements. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you there. Like, I, 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 I that, that was my kind of weird. I was like, oh, that's like another interesting corner of this world and a different type of character doing some weird stuff. And I, I appreciate that. Whereas, like, I was losing the thread a little bit on, like, what was actually going to happen to Nick. Like I said earlier, I was a little confused as to, like, what Watts kept saying that was going to happen to him that was so bad. As long as, like, you're not, like, having someone, like, straight up burn you out or um, having someone straight up burn you out or taking one of those wrong turns when they ask you the wrong question. I was like, what is actually going to happen to him other than like his life being sadder? Uh, but then we see at the end, at the very end of the movie, we see that he is like basically submerged himself like for the remainder of his life. And it's like, oh, it's an odd kind of thing because I'm like, okay, I, I guess that's a choice he made, but is he actually like a hundred percent trapped here? Is this something that someone can pull him out of? Like, how is this supposed to be like, kind of I, I guess it's tragic to some extent but it's also portrayed as like a very conscious choice he made and i was like i i don't know if they really fully explain what all the different consequences of the use of this machine were such that like we were supposed to just like totally like see what all of his different paths could have been and just how sad each of them could have been compared to what it ultimately was yeah so the way i interpreted that and yeah. it's kind of hard to fully untangle because a lot of things happen in those last few minutes that are kind mm -hmm. of unclear um so he does end up burning someone uh the the crooked cop who yeah. uh he uh ends up putting under uh his machine and when he recognizes that he's the one who win the spoiler section already right so I can yeah just yeah yeah it. so it's everyone right so when he realizes that he's the one who killed may he brings him back to the worst memory of his life and essentially has him experience uh the sensation of being burned alive for i guess the rest of his days which is you know pretty intense so my, my understanding of that was is that that is something that is so highly illegal that normally he would have probably gotten a severe prison sentence or right, right. some other kind of punishment. And he essentially makes a deal where he still he still gets life imprisonment to an extent, but he gets to make the choice that he's put under for the rest of his life where he gets to live out those uh, those uh, days that he spent with me for the rest of his days. I got you. You're right. No, they did kind of say that. I just, I was just, again, like you said, oh, it happened very fast. So I was, I was a little confused. I, I for a moment, I, I kind of took it to mean like he got out of prison and just decided to live like that. Uh, yeah, because he also tape. Well, he doesn't really tape his confession, but he gives his confession to Welts, and then she hands it, hands the confession over to the district attorney, and then, I guess mm -hmm. maybe to an extent, he wants that to happen to him because. Uh, Again, the present day for him sucks so badly that he'd much rather just live the rest of his life in those beautiful memories that he has. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, to an extent, that choice even makes sense to me. Like, to, it's partially kind of a cheap way out for the movie to take because um, it also kind of implies a very negative, pessimistic outlook on the future. But simultaneously, you know, yeah, if you've reached a point where... Uh, mankind uh just doesn't really see much hope anymore for the future and things just suck so badly then of course you would want to live the rest of your days out in blissful nostalgia so the choice makes sense i just don't know if that's necessarily the most uh compelling way for the movie to end but yeah well yeah and speaking of and i'll back up for a little bit towards kind of another part of the ending where uh, he'd already like you, you mentioned how he burns out the the Clifton Collins character, but it's not before he uh, uses his memory in the machine to like Cliff actually. Clifton Collins is a different actor. 
God, they're both kind of like ethically ambiguous guys <laughs> named Cliff uh, who play guys of all different ethnicities in every movie they're in. Uh, but yes, uh, Cliff Curtis, he 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 burns he burns him to uh, but to actually kind of like use him to like see his memory and see actually what became of May. And in like May's last moments, uh, we see her pretty explicitly giving a message to Nick as she is talking to Booth. And in doing so, like, is able to, like, tip him off as to where she put the boy because she'd already told him the story about, like, how she came upon this woman that lived in a house, like, that that was just sticking out of the keys. Mm. Uh, and I was like, I don't really know if we, like, that's, like, another thing where it's, like, a lot of moving parts, like, actually get to, like, somewhere where, like, that her plan could have, like, totally worked. Like, she's just, like, having to assume that at some point, like, Nick is going to be able to trap Booth and get into his head yeah. uh, to be able to to be able to save this kid. And I'm like... I kind of understand how they're trying to use some of this technology to, like, factor into this plot. But, like, that just seemed like a bit of a stretch and, like, a weird way to, like, send that character off. Like, and they they were trying to go for, like, a cool visual moment where he is stepping into uh, a yeah. spot. And it, it just, I don't know, it felt forced and disjointed, yep. not, not, it just kind of missed the mark and, like, didn't exactly totally come together in the way I think the movie thought it was coming together. Yeah, because, again, they assumed that by that point we'd be so sold in their relationship that it would be a very touching uh affecting final note for them and instead mm-hmm. it just felt so overly sentimental that it took me out of the entire scene mm-hmm. i mean you can probably suspend disbelief to a point where you can think okay she knew that he has access to this technology so maybe she assumed that there was a chance he would see this memory at some point but then played in the same way that we've seen up until that point and not as this uh sort of weird way for them actually interacting where they actually get to kiss at the end. It just, it seemed excessive to the point of melodrama and I didn't it, like that. It was such a chance thing that he even like was in the other guy's head to see her in New Orleans in the first place. You're right. That uh, is also something she couldn't have known. So yeah, just a lot of very strange coincidences that uh, end up working out great for them. But yeah, I think the more you actually, uh, dive deeper into some of the more intrinsic plotting of the movie the more it probably falls apart but even on the surface it didn't work out that well so yeah uh god the the other thing i'll say is that like some of like i don't want to i don't i don't want to crap too much on the script because like again i i i i I think lisa joy should get to make another movie because i you know i think there's enough of like an original vision here that it's like hey this is this person clearly has some like ideas and some like visual style hope she gets to do something else but like there is some weird like other lines in there that I think they were hoping would like really kind of like land in like a more profound way than they did. Uh, there was one where they said like all endings are sad, especially if the story was happy, which like in a nutshell, like I guess kind of sounds good and makes you think, except like you didn't really show us a happy story to begin with here. Uh, <laughs> like, like Fred and I've already talked about. It's like, it, it just so it felt like they're kind of just like throwing in lines there that would like, you know, uh, really leave a mark when it's like, I don't know if you really did the rest of the movie good enough for like me to really have that thing leave a mark. Another one was like, without the sadness, you can't taste the sweet. And like, I get what that means, but again, not totally like, Maybe that one even works a little bit better if you think about the plot of this movie, but, like, I don't know. There were, like, a few, like, really, like, Fred already said, sentimental, kind of, like, overly uh, flowery language type of, like, sequences like that at the end where there's different characters getting to get off their different monologues or get off their really um, profound lines, and I don't know. Like, it just – it just didn't come together in the way that I wanted to, where I think the movie really thought it was nailing it with some of this writing and some of these visual flourishes. It just didn't earn, you know? Do you have any other final thoughts, Fred? Just again, that it's kind of unfortunate that 
you had a very good idea here about what the world could look like in a few decades due to climate change. And I want to see more movies uh, in that vein, because I think it is an interesting visual and it's also an interesting premise to tell stories that might get people's attention about uh, where we're headed down the road. I always say that as much as the movie is usually criticized uh, in terms of scientific uh, accuracy, by which I mean it's not, mm-hmm. the day after tomorrow was kind of the big uh, eye-opener for a lot of people in terms of what could happen down the road if climate change really gets out of control. And seeing Manhattan getting hit by a tidal wave is a really uh, striking image. And seeing Miami totally underwater and the population going nocturnal That is also something that kind of makes people think, wow, that is a city that I live in, or I also live in a coastal city in the United States. So maybe a few decades from now, these are actually struggles that we'll get to experience in real life. So I just wish it had been used to tell a more interesting and more unique story. But at the same time, again, it's a cool premise, and I really want uh, it to get utilized more uh, in different ways down the road. Yeah, I actually had I actually had a thought about the day after tomorrow too after I saw the movie and that like I I, I haven't rewatched that movie in uh, probably at least more than five years maybe saw part of it on cable at some point but like I I, I think that's a good movie but like I I really like settings like this one where it's like I don't know like not as not as extreme like it's like mm-hmm. I mean that's this is like actually what legitimately what people think Miami might be like in fifty years uh so I I kind of like movies like that that are like not like fully apocalyptic but like actually like oh like a little more chilling because it's a version that you could actually conceive of happening in your lifetime. Uh, so again, I agree with Fred really cool setting. And it just, unfortunately feels like a little bit of a missed opportunity, but like still recommend, uh, checking it out because especially because it's so accessible on HBO max though, if you like have easy access to an IMAX theater, like I do, uh, I think, and you have a, like, you know, AMC a list and can not really cost you all that much to do it. Definitely recommend that for the cool visuals of the movie, if nothing else. Uh, Fred, before you get out of here, anything else you've been watching lately you want to pitch to the viewers? Yeah, a couple things, actually. So I already mentioned the Maltese Falcon earlier as one of the major wa- bars to check I watched out. That early, I watched that earlier this year for the first time. Right. So to tie that into uh, the bigger picture, uh, the Criterion Channel currently has a 19 uh, film John Huston collection uh, that they're highlighting, which I've been uh, slowly working, uh, working my way through uh, this past month. Uh, some really interesting movies that are uh, well are, are pretty well known. Uh, some of the bigger ones being The African Queen, uh, The Man Who Would Be King, but also some of the more obscure features, which I uh, have really been enjoying getting to see finally. So I definitely recommend that. Uh, technically, the collection is only highlighted uh, until the end of the month, but I assume uh, most of them are going to stick around uh, past that, except for Key Largo, which is going away at the end of the month. And as somebody who lives in Florida, I would definitely... Uh, also recommend to you if you haven't seen yet. And the other thing is, and I shouldn't really have to tell people this because uh, it's been making uh, the waves on the internet these past few weeks, uh, The White Lotus on HBO, the season finale now, it's, it got renewed for a second season, uh, aired about a week ago, so it's fully available on HBO now, which uh, if you're watching Reminiscence, you should have access to, so there's mm-hmm. no excuse for you not to see The White Lotus as well. Um, so that, that one I really enjoyed. And then the other one that hasn't been getting as much attention, which my girlfriend and I watched, that uh, was really intriguing is Physical, actually, which is on Apple TV. And uh, it's set in the 1980s. And 
Yeah, it's about the rise of aerobics, actually, which honestly didn't really seem like a premise that I would get into. But it has a lot of interesting things to say about eating disorders, uh, about some of the interesting political developments in the 1980s. And honestly, the show kind of sells itself. It's Rose Byrne in a leotard. So there really isn't much that I need to add to that. So it's a really interesting show. Again, on Apple TV, so not as accessible as... uh, some of the stuff on HBO, because I feel like most people have some kind of subscription to that. Uh, but yeah, those just are some a, of the things I've been checking out lately. Just a friendly reminder, if you've bought any kind of Apple device in the last year, you should like be eligible for a free year of Apple TV Plus. And mm-hmm. uh, you could, there's plenty of stuff that can, plenty of good stuff on there that could, I, I'm, I have not actually watched physical. I, I'm glad to hear you liked it because I hadn't actually talked to anyone else who had. I hadn't talked to anyone else who'd watched it one way or the other. Uh, but it, like the critical reception seemed a little divisive and I just didn't make it a priority. So um, I'm now more intrigued to go watch it. Logan really liked it too, if that helps, and she's probably the more uh, authoritative voice uh, on that particular show. So that's cool. probably the more endorsement. Yeah, no, I and I um speaking of Rose Byrne, I, I guess that was a quick recommendation I was going to make. Was I, I just because I, I I saw there was a rewatchables episode on it, and I hadn't listened to, to a rewatchables episode in a while. I I I watched uh, Neighbors over the weekend, which I mean mm-hmm. I hadn't seen since it was in theaters, though I really re- remember enjoying watching it, and it's like it still holds up pretty well. Um, and it's just a really funny movie. I mean, just incredible Zac Efron performance. He hasn't really been as good as he was since. Uh, and like a great Rose Byrne comedic performance, which people knew she could do from Bridesmaids at that point. But like mm-hmm. she got to get in on, in on the action a little more, whereas she was like a little bit more the straight woman in Bridesmaids. Also, I and a couple other people have like made this recommendation over the last couple of months. So I'm not like new to it, but like I, 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 and I don't think I'm going to be able to watch all of it before it co- the many saints newer comes out, but I started my own little Sopranos rewatch, mm. uh, just cause I, just cause I hadn't watched it in a while. And like, man, I, I knew it was good, but it is like so watchable, like right from the get go. Like, you know, the, what the way, one of the ways I kind of judged like TV shows or something is like how excited it makes me to like get up to work out in the morning. Cause I will like w- watch an episode. <laughs> I will watch an episode of something like while I'm like on the treadmill or the bike at the gym. And like, if I'm like really excited to watch something, it's just easier to wake myself up at 6am. If like the more excited I am to watch something when that, that that's easier to do when we're talking about like something like the white Lotus, which, you know, for all of the episodes I watched like on the bike at the gym, the Monday after the night it had come out. And so mm-hmm. it was like a good way to get me up to work out on Mondays. And it's like the one thing where it's like a new episode like that or like Ted Lasso or something like that, like a new episode of a show that I'm really enjoying that's airing. But like I've been like getting up and just like riding the bike at the gym and watching The Sopranos. Uh, and it's like I and mean, I, again, I haven't seen I haven't watched it in six or seven years, but like so it's a little fresher in that way. And then I, I, I don't remember all the little details, but like, man, I'm just really, really enjoying it, even though I'd had a couple other people make the recommendation on the podcast in the last couple of months to do the same. I was like, oh, man, like, am I going to really like want to like. Like go through all of this again it's like no the sopranos is like way more fun than you even remember so uh highly recommend uh, i have a confession to make i never actually watched it i oh. uh i i, I, tr- I tried twice and i think oh. i made it five or six episodes in at one point and then for some reason it just didn't quite work for me mm. logan and i are probably going to give it a try again uh and i'm hoping it works out better this time but there was just something that for some reason it didn't quite get me during my first two attempts maybe that'll change this time around I don't know. Maybe it's just the German and he just doesn't feel like watching a bunch of Italians or something. I I think it was more like, to be totally honest with you, I think what I found a little hard to get over is like it has a very unique balance of family drama and almost comedic elements that seem kind of strange to me. So maybe if I actually get on the right tonal wavelength, I'll enjoy it. But it just threw me off the first two times I tried it. So uh, 
we just watched all seven seasons of Mad Men, so we have some uh, availability in our plate. So maybe we'll actually try this now. Where did you watch Mad Men? I thought it went off of streaming like the beginning of the pandemic. Oh, I uh, bought the Blu-ray set. Ah, there you go. Well, yeah, so that, that, not that's streaming right now, unfortunately. Yeah, I don't understand the economics of how that works. You think it would be like worth someone's money to like license it to a streamer, like, and not just like let it not be available on streaming for almost a year and a half. Uh, but yeah, so I would just say like uh, we're gonna be talking about Many Saints of Newark on the podcast. So uh, if you like, if you've been thinking about watching The Sopranos or thinking about rewatching it, I think it's definitely worth it if you haven't done so in the last few years, unless like uh, unless you have tried multiple times, like Fred just didn't like it. Uh, so uh, th- those are my recommendations. Fred, where can people find your letterbox or what, anything else of yours that you want them to find? Yeah, uh, my letterbox username is uh, Fred Korb, F R E D K O L B. I'm five reviews away from 1,000 reviews, so I'm getting there. I still need to pick what my 1,000th review is going to be. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, and my Twitter handle is Fred the German. I don't really uh, tweet as much as I thought I would over the past few months because uh, usually I just get angry and then I start ranting <laughs> and that's not healthy for me. Uh, but you can still follow me on Twitter. Occasionally I share my opinions. And uh, yeah, if you want to be privy to those, uh, do give me a follow. There you go. As usual, I'm Josh Chernovoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-I on Twitter and Letterboxd. These days, I'm usually about three weeks behind on logging stuff on Letterboxd because I'm busy. Yeah, I'm I'm busy, and then like I I get, I get kind of anal about wanting to like have the pod podcast already posted before I post that review, and it's just like between that and like you know life and stuff, it's just like hard to like give anything as much attention as I want. So I'm always just a little behind, but I still appreciate the follows and uh, the podcast Twitter is at Rewind Movie Pod and podcast Gmail is the Rewind Movie Pod at gmail.com. So you can like you can find us there for any of that stuff. Coming up next, I think we're gonna have an episode on uh, that uh, a bizarre movie that. That just came out on Amazon Prime called Annette that I'll be talking about with uh, our friend Ben Lubin because, you know, I saw when I was in Los Angeles, I saw the Sparks Brothers with Ben and Russell and Ron Mao, who were the subjects of that movie, are the writers and composers of Annette. So it made sense to invite Ben on for that one. And man, that is a weird movie. And I'm really not sure how I'm going to talk about it. But uh, <laughs> Ben always has plenty to say, so I'm sure he'll help us get through it. So uh, thanks again to Fred for joining. Thanks to everyone for listening. And we'll see you next time.